verse number 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and gentleness of Christ, who had present and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For, they, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down, verse 5, imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Heavenly Father, I do want to be a blessing tonight. Lord, I love Brother Christian. We've hit it off and we've become fast friends. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to open this book, the eternal, inspired, and errant word of God. Lord, I didn't drive all the way up here and he didn't invite me to waste these good people's time and our time, but most of all, your time. So help me, Holy Spirit, to be a blessing. I believe tonight the message you've given me to preach is one that needs to be preached because of the dangerous situations and circumstances we find ourselves in sometimes as Christians. Help me to be a help to somebody that's thinking crazy thoughts, that's thinking in fantasy and not in reality. Let me a help. Let me be a help to that man or that woman, that young boy, that young girl. I pray, I ask now in Jesus' name I stand. For the arm of flesh has failed, so I'm pleading with you, Holy Spirit. Use me tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Bible says in 2 Corinthians, can I, can I move around a little bit? Is that all right with you? I don't want to do anything that would hurt or hinder. I'm going to move. That's a long way to the first row. At my church, you can't sit in the first row unless you wear a raincoat. Because I, I tend to get it. Also, I'm going to unbutton this collar because if this button were to pop off, it might kill that man right there. There's so much pressure get built up underneath there. And it helps me get out from under these lights because I can't see nothing. I feel like Stevie Wonder up here. Chapter 10 of verse 5, watch my backside now. Chapter 10, verse number 5, the Bible talks about your imaginations. It says to bring into captivity your thoughts. I want to preach to you tonight a message that some have entitled Fantasy Island and some have entitled simply, Are You Thinking in Fantasy or in Reality? How many of you remember the show Fantasy Island? You're old enough to remember the show Ricardo Montalban and, and Tattoo, you know. And uh, Tattoo was a little guy. They're playing, they're playing, they're playing, boss, they're playing. And, and they would be standing there. And, and if, you're, if you're not old enough to, to remember that, and none of you guys are, you'll have to Google it and YouTube it and look it up. But it's a show about an island somewhere in the world where people would come from their ordinary lives, their, their daily existence, where everything was kind of humdrum and, and just kind of blah, blah. And they would come to Fantasy Island. And on Fantasy Island, Mr. Rourke would be waiting there. They'd get off the seaplane, and he would say, Now, Tattoo, uh, this is Bob Smith, and Bob Smith is a mechanic, and he wants to be uh, an airline pilot. And so during the weekend at Fantasy Island, this regular mechanic would be an airplane pilot. And then as the course of the show would be, he would get to have his experience. It would be wonderful. Then there'd be a problem, and then there would be a rescue, and he would leave the island uh, happy, and everything would be wonderful. And that was every week people would come to Fantasy Island. And for a few moments, they would 
leave there every day and they would find themselves in some amazing fantasy. The problem with Fantasy Island is it's a television show. It's not reality. Nobody gets to leave their everyday life. Nobody gets to exchange the ho-hum normalcy of everyday life for some fantasy. The problem, however, is some of you begin to think in fantasy and not in reality. And you take some thought and you begin to manipulate that thought and you begin to massage that thought and, and you begin to meditate on that thought and pretty soon you build a scenario that is not based in reality but it's purely fantasy. But then as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so your fantasy thought becomes an actual reality decision. The basis of this message is very simple. Several weeks ago, I had one of our finest families come sit down with me for counseling and had no idea why. The counseling opened up, and sure enough, the husband was making some terrible decisions about his family. He was involved in some things he shouldn't have been involved in. We sit there, my wife and I and the family, we walked through some things and some decisions, and it was just heartbreaking because here's a guy that had a fantasy thought that he had built into a scenario and now he was actually engaging in. He he had thought, I'm going to do this and everything's going to work out because in my scenario, in my fantasy, we all live happily ever after. And in that counseling session, his wife, myself, my wife, we said, no, That's not going to be how this turns out. You're not going to live happily ever after. In fact, we're not going to do what you think and nobody's going to respond like you respond. You're thinking in fantasy, not in reality. You know, unfortunately, he's not the first guy to ever think that. He's not the first young lady to ever have the idea that I'll have this fantasy come to fruition and this fantasy that I've built will turn out okay. There's a lot of you in this room that find yourself uh, in these daydreams and in these fantasies and you've listened to the music or watched the movie and, and all of a sudden you've put yourself in some kind of scenario and you're thinking it's going to be okay. Although what I'm doing is wrong, it's going to turn out Right? You've kind of built a little country fantasy world where you put yourself on some boat, some beach, somewhere, and you're going to sail off to some little island with some little senorita or some little uh, somebody, and you're going to enjoy this fantasy, and whether or not you have a wife or kids, a husband, a responsibility, a job, a ministry, that doesn't matter because in your scenario, in your fantasy, everything works out well. The Bible says, The Word of God was written for our examples. The Word of God was written for our admonition. I want to give you four men in the Bible a long runway tonight. Very short flight, but a long runway. I want to give you four men in the Bible that built these sin fantasies. And I want to show you how the fantasy turned into a sad reality. Number one, let me remind you of a man by the name of Cain. Take your Bible, if you have the Word of God, take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 4, please. By the way, do y'all have Bibles here or do y'all use tablets, phones? You use a tablet? You're the pastor's wife. Playing Candy Crush or reading the Bible? That's, I don't mind you using a tablet. Just every now, and say, every now and then just say amen. I'll think you're paying attention even if you're crushing candy. Genesis chapter 4. 
Find it with me. Genesis chapter 4, I want you to begin reading all the way down in verse number 11. God says, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thine hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her, strength, her strength, a fugitive, and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, watch it now, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. I just read you the reality of Cain's fantasy decision. Let's go back and I'll walk you through the fantasy. The fantasy is, I will do it my way. The fantasy is, I don't care what God said, I will do it my way. God said, bring an animal. God said, bring a sacrifice. God said, bring that perfect picture of Jesus Christ. And yet Cain said, no, 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 God, I will do it my way. And he brought an offering. He wanted to serve God, but he was going to serve God his way and not God's way. His fantasy was that God would accept his offering and God would say, well, I know what I said, Cain, but I really didn't mean it. I'm going to let you get away with it. And Cain thought, I will do it my way, and everything will turn out okay. And God said, that's fantasy. You don't do your way, you do God's way. Amen. You know how many people I've met, did you cut yourself? That's terrible. You okay? You all right? You know how many people I've met over the years? that have told God, I know what the Bible says, I know what the man of God says, I know what mom and dad says, but I will do it my way. And God, you know what you're going to have to do? You're just going to have to like it. You're just going to have to accept it. I will do it my way. Pride is where you tell God what you will do and not follow what God has already told you to do in his word. Cain lived in a fantasy and he lived in a world of self-will where he said, I will do what I want to do. I will serve God. Now, I'm not going to run away from God. I'm just going to serve God my way. I was there. My parents divorced in 1986. I was in uh, <clears throat> playing college football. That's not here or there, but I was very good. I was playing college football and uh, got the letter to the divorce. And uh, I'm telling you what, I said, I'm done. I'm out. And I went and got drunk. I went and joined the military. Long story short, got right with God. But when I got right with God, I said, now, God, I will do anything you want me to do but be a preacher. Because I said in my heart, preacher falls. It's a terrible shame on the church, on God, on everybody. And I'll not do that. I'm going to be a school teacher. I'm going to coach football and basketball and all the things I love. And I said, it's, it's a bad thing if preachers fall. I mean, it's a bad thing if teachers fall, but it's worse. And what I said to God was, God, I'll serve you, but I'll serve you on my terms. I'm going to tell you something, boy. The, the holy God of heaven said, that's not how this works, Brent. You'll do what I said do, or you'll be wrong. 
You don't tell God how you'll serve God. You don't tell God how you'll follow God. You either follow or you disobey. That's your only two choices. First example is the man Cain. He said, I will. Number two, follow along in your Bibles. Now just turn the page over just a couple of pages to the book of Numbers. Cain said, I will. Look at Numbers 16, 27. Brother Christian, is there water around this building? If not, beer, wine, margaritas, five bucks. Verse 27, number 16. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. On every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. Bless you, son. That's a good-looking boy right there. His daddy must be handsome. And their children... And Moses said, Hereby shall ye know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit... Then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord and it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed up upon them and they perished from among the congregation. Cain said, I will. Korah said, I wish. I wish. Two words that you ought to write down, the word envy and the word jealousy. The word envy and the word jealousy. Envy and jealousy are where you look at what God has done in your life and then you look at what God has done in somebody else's life and you say, God I'm not satisfied with what you've done for me. I want what you've done for them. Do you understand this? Korah had a very important position. Korah was responsible for the things of the tabernacle. He was the one that his group, his family, his tribe, they carried from place to place the very articles of worship. They had a very important place. In fact, when Korah rose up against Moses, Moses said, oh, Korah, it's not a little thing you have. It's a big deal you have. Be content where God put you. And Korah said, I am not content to be where I am. I want to be where Moses is. I wish I were the boss. Envy and jealousy are crippling Christians all across this country. When you can't be happy, I'll be honest, I drove up on this parking lot, and I said, oh, God bless the good people of faith. And I had to bless faith because in my heart, I was envious. Down where I live, this, this much acreage, this much building, there's no way in the world you could ever build this place. A little piece of land that we bought, four acres, just a piece of nothing land, just the land itself, $1.3 million dollars. I thought, oh, man, look at all these buildings. Look at all these fields. We'll never have any of that because we're in the city. You're out here in this good area of the country. By the way, we have the ocean. You don't, so we win. But it's okay. But, but the point is, if I cannot be happy and be excited about what God is doing in somebody else's life, then God can never do anything in my life. I wish. 
I wish I pastored here. I wish I had that. I wish I was this. I wish I had this job. I wish. Jealousy and envy crippling Christians all over the country. Preachers can't be excited about preachers. Christians can't be excited about Christians. What God is doing in your life is a big deal. And you ought to be excited about what God is doing. Quit comparing what God is doing in your life to what God is doing in somebody else's life. Rejoice for their blessing and ask God to bless them more. And in your rejoicing, what you're doing is opening an avenue for God to do something in your life. But Korah thought, I'll be the most, I wish I was the most. And God said, Korah, you're going to die. Mrs. Cora's going to die. Dathan Abiram's going to die. All your children are going to die. Everything you own is going to be opened up and swallowed in a pit. And the earth is going to close back on top of you. Cora, you're living in fantasy. It's not going to turn out well. I watched the other day those Thailand boys in those caves. Oh, listen, I couldn't do that. I'm very claustrophobic, very claustrophobic. Just the thought of that going down in a hole like that, that's not right in the head. God said, Korah, you think this is going to turn out well. You're, you're making these decisions based on what you wish to happen, what you desire that's not your place. Cain said, I want, or I will. Korah said, I wish. I'll quickly give you this one. This is easy. Go over to, uh, go into the Exodus. You're going to find Achan. Achan after Jericho where God said, and again, we, we won't even begin to, uh, for time's sake, I won't go through it all. But if you go in, uh, not Exodus, Joshua, I'm sorry. If you go into Joshua after Jericho, God said, don't touch anything that pertains to Jericho. Leave it alone. And Achan said, but I, I want it. I, I want it. Nobody's ever told me no before. God said, don't touch it. They go to a little town of Ai. The, the nation is crippled. Men, are, uh, men lose their lives. Uh, the, the nation is halted. After this great victory of Jericho, this little city of Ai becomes a stumbling block because Achan said, but I wanted." couple of pieces of clothes and a few dollars. But I want it. It's not yours to take it. It don't matter if it's mine. I want it. But, but, but it's not healthy. It doesn't matter. I want it. God said it's forbidden. It doesn't matter. I want it. You think America is living in a generation that has come living to the place where we've lost our minds, where we think that because we have a passing desire for something, we deserve to have it. Well, I want sexual freedom. Well, I want sexual fluidity, whatever that is. Well, I want to feel good and I want to experience and I want to have... Aiken, you, you think this is going to be good just because you want something. You're thinking in fantasy. Separate everybody. Okay, this section here. All right, separate all that crowd. This family here. All right, the rest of y'all, Mr. Aiken. Come on, Mrs. Aiken, come on. Little Aikens, come on, all the Aiken family. Stone them. 
Joshua says, listen, this is awful. Stone them, then burn them. Wipe them off the face of the earth like they never existed. If you're named Achan, you're in trouble. Wipe them off the face of the earth like they never existed. Because Achan said, I want it. Fantasy. See where I'm going, number one, some of you are saying, but, but I'll do it my way. Some of you are saying, but I, I really wish I had. Some of you are saying, but I really won't. Let me give you the third, the fourth one. I'm done with this part of the sermon. David. David said, chapter 11, the Bible says, when kings are supposed to go forth to war, David stayed behind. He eyed a woman bathing. Not uncommon, the, the cultural issues there. She wasn't in the wrong, folks. But when David should have been working, David was taking his ease. You know what David said? I worked for this. I earned it. I deserve it. Bring her to me. Chapter 12 is where you'd read if we were going to read the text together, but for time I must hasten. Old preacher comes to him. I've always imagined Nathan was about a two and a half inch reach on that finger and he just kind of stuck it in David's face and he said let me tell you a story about a little ewe lamb and he laid out this little ewe lamb and he says uh, David this fella had this little pet lamb and so on and so forth and, and, and the neighbor come and stole it and killed it and ate it and David was a shepherd so that ticked him off and David said that man deserves to die and Nathan takes that two and a half three inch finger and puts it right in front of Nathan, David's face and he says thou Art the man. You did this. Bathsheba's the lamb. You stole her. Fourfold. Nathan told David, the sword will never leave your house, bloody man. You'll never get over this. That little baby died. Tamar was raped by Amnon. Absalom killed Amnon. That led to Absalom's rebellion against David. That led to David's ten wives being raped by his own son in the sight of all Israel. That led to Absalom's where he was actually 40 years down the road led the rebellion. Absalom rises up. Absalom is killed. David never stopped suffering. I think, and I can't prove this, I preached another message called uh, The Bitterness of Ahithophel. I think one of the things that we missed in that story was a friendship of a lifetime was forever severed because of Ahithophel, Bathsheba's grandfather, David's closest friend, and he jumped in the rebellion against, uh, with Absalom against David because of what David did to his grandbaby. I earned this. I deserved it. I worked hard for this. I'm on, I, I, know, I know I've got these responsibilities and I know I've got this family and I know I've got these commitments and I know I've got this ministry and I know I've got this calling and I know I'm a Christian, but man, I've worked for this. I've earned some me time. I've given my life to my family. I've given my life to everybody else. I'm going to take some me time. Fantasy. Not reality. Number one, point number one. That was the introduction. Here's the point. Simple. Your dream 
your dream. Some of you tonight, and I pastored for two and a half, almost two and a half decades now. I can tell you, whatever church I'm in, I preach this message. Some of you tonight have a dream that you're dreaming right now. It's called a sin scenario. Some of you young people, you, you've, been, you've been listening and watching and you think, well, I know what the Bible says and I know what daddy says and I know what mama says and I know what preacher says, but I am going to do this and it's going to turn out okay. I preached this message last night. I'm going to preach it twice. I taught it one night at RU. My daughter's sitting back here. She said, Dad, that's one of the best messages I've ever heard. You're going to teach that everywhere. Preach that everywhere. Second time I've ever preached it. Preached that last night. Two ladies came forward in the middle of what I'm talking about. A husband who sat in an independent fundamental Bible-believing church and had a sin scenario and walked out on a wife and children, family and responsibility because they said, I'm going to either have it or I'm going to earn it or whatever their reasoning was. And they walked out. Two ladies weeping last night in the state of North Carolina because a husband sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm going to go live that fantasy land. You've been getting too much Kenny Chesney, too much television, too many movies, too many fantasies that are not reality. And you think, I'm just going to walk away and everything's going to be fine. So we're sitting at my desk. My wife says, preacher, I really believe my husband wants to do right. But how can, how can I help him? Now, this is a wife saying this to, to me and Miss Valerie about her husband. She said, how can I help him not have thoughts about this scenario that he's involved in? And she was, of course, very specific. I don't need to be specific for you. For the Christian, I, I try to be kind and gentle and sweet, and I do have a reputation for loving people. They're kind of hard to love sometimes. But every now and then it just kind of wells up in me. And I could feel this from the bottom of my toes all the way to the crown of my head. Here's a woman whose life is being shredded apart because of the decision of a husband that said, I'm going to build a sin scenario. I'm going to live in a fantasy land. And all she can think of is how can I help my husband? And it just... I didn't come across the desk this time. But I eased across the desk and got right real close. It's okay, don't worry. And I said, let me tell you how to help him not think about this other situation. So number one, think about the fact that if you do this again, I personally am going to take your wife and find the meanest woman lawyer in the city who hates men. And I am going to hire her to represent your wife. And we're going to come after everything you have. I said, number two, I said, you have children, little girls. I said, in my ministry, I found this to be true. The reason that many girls become very loose, very promiscuous, very free with their bodies is because of an abandoned father. 
And I said, your little girls are tiny right now. I said, but dear friend, you want to help not think about the situation? You want to think about the reality and not the fantasy? I said, you think about your little three children who become loose because they're looking for love. They're looking for approval. They're looking for affection. They're looking for acceptance. That ought to come from a daddy who's off in some fantasy and they're going to be with every boy that comes along and every man that'll take advantage of them. That's what you want. That's what you think about. Then I said this, I said, because you're going to be an abandoned father, many girls I find that end up in a homosexual lifestyle because, again, abandonment and issues of all that. Think about your little girls giving themselves to an abominable lifestyle because they crave love and they get it from somebody that God did not design them to get it from. I said, then we're going to think about your little boy. Little boys who don't have strong daddies at home suffer immeasurably. By the way, the church's responsibility, as with a widow, I believe, is with families like this. You men, come alongside these single mothers and give them some men that they can take the gap, stand in the gap for absentee and abandoned fathers so they don't turn out like this. I said, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm in full preaching voice now. I said, sir, your little boy who's precious and tiny now, he's going to be effeminate. He's going to be unmasculine. He's not going to have to handle himself because you ain't going to be there. And then I said, your wife's pretty and young. I said, I want to think about the man that's going to come along and kind of get there quick. He's going to drive your car, live in your house, sleep in your bed, and enjoy your life. And then I said, and he's going to spend your money because the first thing I did was get that mean woman. And we're going to take everything we can so that when you go off to Margaritaville, you ain't got enough money to buy a margarita. But I'm just going to leave my wife. Everything's and I looked at him. I said, sir, I swear unto God, I said this exactly my wife said. I said, sir, you think your daughters are going to love you? They're going to hate you. They're going to be so hurt by you. They are going to think of you in such ways that makes them repudiate your name. Oh, my kids are going to just accept it. I'm the son of a divorced mother and father. 30 years later, I still struggle with it. Fantasy. Well, it's just going to be wonderful. It's going to be a living hell. And you're going to sit there by yourself when the lights are down and the music's off, and you're going to say, What in God's name was I thinking? And you young people, you ask me how I know that. I'm a rebel, reprobate, runaway from God who would lay up after all the party was done and I'd lay up my dormitory, Tyndall Air Force Base, Panama City Beach, Florida, and I'd look up to the heaven and I'd say, God, if there's not more to life than drinking and partying, there's got to be something in a pit of misery like you couldn't find. That's the reality, man. Oh, we just, well, I... Been married 25 years, walk away. 30 years, walk away. Well, I, I raised my family. I just needed some me time. Fantasy. Number two, you got a dilemma. Here's your dilemma. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, 
that shall he also reap. Your problem is you're sitting at the faith church on a Wednesday night and after all the years of your former preacher and all the years of this preacher, you've heard enough Bible to live on and you know better than what you're thinking. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You may think you can run from preacher and you may think you can run from church and you may think you can run from your wife and you may think you can run from your husband. You may think you can run from your mama and you may think you can run from your daddy. But oh dear friend in heaven, you can't, or dear friend on earth, you can't run from the great God of heaven that will keep on you until your last breath. No pleasure in that sin after the season's gone. Oh, you may live and drink and be married, but when that season ends, heartache begins. Your dilemma is you've heard too much. You're accountable whom much is given, young people. You may think you ain't getting much at that Christian school. You may think you're not getting much at that Christian church. But dear friend, you're learning principles and precepts of God's eternal word. And you'll never be able to get away from that. And if you've got the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, you can run as far as Jonah did. You can be cast out of the boat at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of the fish. And you'll find God was waiting on you before you left the ship. Your dilemma... Number three, your decision. You better think in reality. Here's what you do, and I'm done. Well, if this works out, and if this works out, and if this works out, and if this works out, I'll live happily ever after. You better think in reality. Your decision ought to be based on what could go wrong because it probably will go wrong. What could happen because it probably will happen. Don't you dare make a decision based on what might happen. Make a decision based on what probably will happen. Your pastor could line up, your pastor's wife could line up and spend hour after hour after hour of the horror stories they've heard. Your assistant pastor could spend hour after hour after hour of the horror stories they've heard and the broken homes and the heartache and they could tell you a time and a time and a time again how bad it really can be. And you watch one movie where the guy leaves and turns off and everything's happy. All the families get along at Christmas. That's a movie! Not reality! Reality is dreading every Christmas of the world because of the collision of two worlds. Dreading every big event, birthdays and holidays and weddings and graduations because, oh no, they're going to be in the same room. That's the reality. And you're making decisions like you're some character in a movie. Fantasy land. I told that young man, I said, buddy, I said, you ain't going to keep your job because you're in ministry. You ain't going to keep your friends. You're not going to keep your church. Nobody's going to accept your decision but you. Everybody else in your life is going to say, no, don't do this. And you're going to find yourself alone. And God's going to step into the gap in your family life and carry them on because they're going to be faithful. And you're going to suffer regret until you're an old man. I can tell you this story 25 times without even thinking hard. Men that will sit in my office 
Roman, I, let me tell you this story. You, you'll never know him. He's dead now, probably. Y'all doing okay up there? Look up here. I was at the veterans, veterans home about a year ago, and I was talking to an old man, World War II, my favorite generation. I was talking to a man, and, and I said, I'm Pastor Stansel at Community. He said, oh, you pastor my wife. I said, really? He said, yeah, my wife called her by name. I said, oh, I love her. Here's an 80-something-year-old man. The moment I said I love her, his eyes filled with tears, and he began to weep and fall like a little old baby. He don't know me from Adam's house cat. That's the worst decision of my life, preacher. Forty years ago, I went away and walked away. He said, I've regretted it every day since. Don't you be an 80-something-year-old man looking back at your life and wreck and ruin because for a moment you thought you were going to live out some country fantasy. Think in reality. Cain, you're not going to get away. There's only a couple of you in the world. God's going to notice Abel ain't here. Korah, you can't touch God's anointed. Achan, what are you thinking? If you'll follow God, he'll give you double, triple, quadruple the blessing. Don't squander your life for a couple of pieces of clothes and a few dollars. Oh, David, man, after God's own heart, you knew better. But in a moment of fantasy, you thought, I can get away with this because I'm the king. Seven and a half billion people live on this earth. You are not going to be the one exception that God grants when he holds everybody else accountable. Man, the joy of being faithful, the joy of finishing, the joy of consistency. Say, preacher, it's hard, yeah. But it's harder to live in a fantasy. It turns into a hellish reality. And to be faithful, do right. 